I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This is the podcast where we talk through the working day of an author to see how an initial story idea was taken through planning, plotting, and then finally, fingers crossed, publication. And now today we're chatting to Keith Anthony. His debut novel, Times and Places, it's out right now in paperback. And as a genre, it's quite tough to define. So we'll try and do that today during the episode. Also, we chat about the silent retreat that gave him the idea that he needed to sit down and write, whether his debut lived up to the expectations that he had in his head, and also why a cruise with his mum gave him the spark of a story idea that he needed to finally get started. I went on a cruise, actually, with my mum. I took my mum on a cruise, uh, and I thought before we went, Keith, you've been wanting to write a book for ages. A cruise ship could be a really good setting, people trapped on, the, on a ship visiting exotic places as well, lots about the natural world. And I took with me a notebook on the cruise and just tried to note down, you know, little things that I saw. So I think I knew I was going to write a book before I went on that holiday. That was uh, late 2015. And then, uh, sure enough, I think maybe even on the 1st of January 2016, I started writing. So stick around. That is all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Hello, hello. Yes, I know. It's been a while, isn't it? Uh, if you've never listened to us before, thank you so much for taking a chance and giving Writer's Routine a download. Uh, this is the podcast for creative types, where we unpack the way writers get things done. And I hope that listening to their working day inspires you to try and streamline your own. And if you've been with us since the beginning, if you've listened to most of our episodes so far, thank you so much for coming back, because I know it's been a little while. You see, I've been in Edinburgh for the last month or so, and it's strange, you know, I thought that being at the world's biggest arts festival would give me plenty of chances to sit down over a coffee and, and chat to authors and playwrights in abundance. But Edinburgh, have you been? Uh, you, you know this. It kind of absorbs you, really. Time stands still, but it also moves at a rate of knots. Things get out of hand. You don't really understand what day it is, what time it is, and you lose track of everything that you would put in the diary to do. So long and the short of it is I didn't manage to chat to anyone, but it's fine. Thanks for coming back after a summer off. Now, the release dates of the next few episodes, by the way, might be a little bit scattergun as we get back to normal, as we ease ourselves back into into working day after 
I've taken time off over the summer. Uh, I'll let you know what's happening on Twitter, though, so do give us a follow. Uh, it's Writer's Pod over there, and on Instagram, you can find us at Writer's Routine. The good news is we've got some big authors in the pipeline that will hopefully be on the show soon. Massive names. Ian Rankin, Cecilia Ahern, both incredibly successful, and hopefully I can bring them to you in the next few weeks or so, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast so it automatically downloads to your feed. Now, in the meantime, if you've got a second while we're talking about downloads and iTunes, I'd love for you to let other people know how much you're enjoying the show. You can do that very easily as a review over on the iTunes podcast store. So if you're finding anything about these shows useful, uh, find Writer's Routine there. Leave us a five-star review if you can, if you think it's worthy of that, because it really helps us with the chart and it gives us more chance of getting these massive named authors on the show to talk to you. Today, we've got the debut novelist, Keith Anthony, bringing us his writer's routine uh, just off the quiet fields of rural Buckinghamshire. Upstairs in a terrace house, you'll find Keith frantically bashing away at a laptop, getting his story down. And it's taken him some years to finally write one. Uh, He's always wanted to get it done. uh, And we'll find out what finally spurred him on to do the work in just a second in the chat. Now, the story is called Times and Places. I've already mentioned earlier on that as a genre, uh, the, the tale was quite hard to pin down because it's mystical, it's adventurous, it's literary, it's observational. So we chat about this very issue and how he resolved that in his own mind and on the bookshelf in this episode. Now, the story, it's about a man called Fergus, who 10 years after his daughter's death, he finds himself on a cruise with his wife and everything comes to a head. It reaches boiling point. We learn about his story, their story, other people's story and and the simmering tension that comes with being locked on basically a floating hotel for a week uh, and what it feels like to everyone. So there's a lot going on in this novel, Times and Places, and you can find out how Keith managed to think it through, then get it down on paper in just a sec. Stick around. Also, we'll get a top writing tip from a creative writing tutor who's now a memoir prompter. That's on the way in a little bit too. First, let's get into it then. Today's episode with Keith Anthony, the author of Times and Places, and we start, as always, by finding out where he sits down to write. Well, I sit down in my uh, front room, upstairs front room, so it's kind of my spare room, uh, but uh, it's a writing room, stroke music room while I'm there, so I've got a window to my right. I like to work on my desktop computer, so that's in front of me. I'm also a rather poor amateur guitar player, so I've got my guitars uh, to my right as well, which can sometimes be a little bit of a distraction when you're struggling with the writing, but um, I try to be a little bit disciplined. Uh, Have you got any windows in the room? Yeah, I've got windows, so my windows look out uh, just on neighbours. I have a much better view from the back. I have nice greenery uh, behind me. To the front, mm, not quite so interesting. It's neighbours and a road, but uh, I guess that's good in terms of the writing and that that is less distracting. You called it writing slash music room. Yeah. Um, When you got the house, did you always imagine that you would write in this specific place? Yes. So I definitely, it's not a big house, it's just a small terraced house. Uh, It's very nice though, I'm very happy with it. Uh, But what I wanted to to do is make sure I had a room where I could fit a nice desk, I could be comfortable, it could be a relaxed setting. uh, And so that's very much what I've got there. Uh, And I'm actually fine, I know we'll come on to how I write a bit later, but I actually find that I am able to focus there. So when I'm writing, usually for me, it's the motivation of starting writing. And the same is actually true when I'm practicing the guitar. Once you get going, 
I lose myself in the time. And that's exactly what I was thinking about when uh, I got the house. This room is perfect for that. I can just focus on, on my writing. Not too many distractions. So speaking of the distractions, aside from the guitar that you might find in the room... Um, give us a quick tour of the walls. So what have you got? Have you got uh, shelves lined with books? Have you got some paintings up to give you inspiration? Yeah, I've got some paintings up. Uh, they're paintings, uh, very nice ones actually, of uh, uh, Central America. I'm lucky to have travelled quite a bit, but never there. I'd love to go there. I speak a little bit of Spanish, so um, so that would be good. But yeah, the, so there's the paintings around the wall. There's my guitars to my right, as I say. And then a, a sofa behind me, which stretches to a sofa bed for when I have, have guests. So... Small, but um, but nice. Um, so the programme is called Writer's Routine. Mm-hmm. Tell me about yours, the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day where you're sat down to write. OK, so, I mean, it does depend what sort of day it is because I have a full-time job. It would be fantastic to be um, a full-time writer, but I'm definitely not that. Uh, so on a day when um, I'm uh, going to be writing, it would it would usually be a weekend or a day off. So I'd usually probably get up and I'd probably actually start still in my PJs, probably, and I'd sit down and... and what time are we talking? Um, I actually, as a teenager, I was terrible. If you dragged me out of bed at 10 o'clock, you knew you were doing well. Now I seem to wake up quite early. So, you know, it could be anything. It could even be six o'clock or it could be seven o'clock. I would say probably on average it was about um, half past seven, something like that. Uh, but that would mean I could get get started, feel I got crack, uh, cracking with um, a certain amount of my writing and maybe do an hour and a half or something like that and then break off. Um, so if you wake up at, say, seven o'clock on a Saturday... Um, how quickly will you be sat down in your chair upstairs in the room bashing I away? Say, I would say quite quickly. I'd probably have a bit of a wash, try to sort of uh, freshen myself up a bit, but then I'd, I'd probably get going 15 minutes later, something like that, and do a little bit of writing for maybe an hour and a half or so and then have a break for breakfast and maybe to get you know myself properly ready for the day. What happens after the breakfast for the rest of the day then? Well, then um, I think that that's when uh, what tends to happen is uh, it depends, of course, what stage of the book I'm at. uh, But in the earlier days of writing the book, um, I then sit down at the keyboard and I just start writing. I'm a believer in just get it down. uh, So um, I start writing and don't worry too much about the quality. Obviously, I'm trying to write nicely, but I don't worry too much about the quality. And it's during that sort of period that I tend to really lose myself. So, um, uh, you know, hours can go by. I don't I don't find a struggle too much. I mean, I spoke about distractions and those happen at a different stage, really, of writing, which is where you're trying to polish it up and you've got a sentence in front of you, which you're really struggling with. And you can spend hours just over a sentence polishing it up at a later stage of writing. Um, but at the stage where you're just writing it and getting it down, I find that the the time disappears. And so it's not a problem um, in terms of um, spending time writing. It's more of a problem in terms of, whoops, that's the time I should have been there doing that. And how much do you aim to get written? So if you find it hard to stop yourself writing, what constitutes a good day for you? Um, well, I would say, I mean, my chapters in my book are probably, um, on average, about um, 3,000 words, something like that. So I think uh, at that initial writing stage, I probably wouldn't try to do more than a chapter, actually. So it would be 3,000 words, which may not seem much to some people. But for me, you know, you're thinking about it, you're writing. Um, that would be a good day. I think I had some days where I did more, perhaps up to 5,000, something like that. Um, but uh, probably on average. A good day would be a full to have written a full chapter, which would be about three thousand words. 
Uh, and this is your debut novel. Yeah, it is. Very much so, yeah. Um, have you discovered any quirks, little intricacies uh, along the way that help you work better, that keep you in that writing zone so you can crack through the day? Um, to be honest, not really. I, 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 my, the structure of my book was very helpful for me in terms of writing because I have a structure where... Um, uh, the chapters alternate. I know that's quite a popular style these days. So um, there's uh, uh, the odd-numbered chapters are um, Fergus and Sylvie, who are a late middle-aged couple, and they go on a cruise. So it's about uh, the cruise and what happens to them on the cruise. Um, and then the chapters in between that are other sort of related parts of their life. So they've lost their daughter. So I go back to their daughter's life and her romance with her boyfriend, who's called Jones. So I was able to write about that. I was able to write about their relationship, uh, Fergus and Sylvie's uh, relationship at um, at home. I was able to write about the detective who's interviewing their daughter's death. And I was able to uh, write about the woman who believes herself responsible for the death. And all of that meant I had a nice lot of variety. So I could be writing about the cruise one day and then the next day I'll be writing like a detective story and it's the detective or or the person who thinks she's responsible for the death and her worries and what's going on in her mind. What I try to do is write one which is observational humour. So I'm looking at people, uh, looking at um, scenarios that can occur from an observational humour point of view, but also what's going on in, the, in their mind. So for Fergus, who's the main character, who's about 60 years old, uh, he lost his only child, Justine, 10 years previously. He's really struggled to get to grips with that, and that's brought him to a place where he's struggling with anxieties and with his mental health. Um, the cruise is aimed to help him perhaps have a bit of peace and quiet. What happens during the cruise, however, is that um, on a cruise ship, you're stuck with people. So there are some people on the cruise ship that he's really drawn to and he's fascinated with, who remind him perhaps a little bit of his daughter. Uh, and so he becomes a little bit obsessed uh, uh, in that way. But there's also people on the cruise ships and things on the cruise ship that drive him crazy and which uh, so therefore actually increase his, his anxieties. And then there's a series of events that occur also which, which add on top of that. So in fact, what happens is you have this crescendo of tension from the book. So it's not that, well, there are doddery people on board the ship. That's part of what he sees and, and, and he has some reflections on that. But in, in terms of him, it's about this big build-up of tension um, and uh, how that resolves, for better or worse, at the end of the story. And also the connections between what happens on the cruise ship and the alternating chapters which have explored other parts of, of his life. Um, and what I was trying to do, I don't know how familiar you are with Jonathan Coe, but he's one of my favourite authors and he did, wrote a book called Water Carve Up. And it's kind of observational humour with lots of pathos. I like pathos as well. Um, and even some gothic horror in there. So his imagination starts to go a little bit wild a little bit crazy so there's some um even some gothic horror in there lots about the natural world i love the natural world uh, so i can talk <laughs> a little bit about that uh, but lots about the natural world too so you have all these different strands um and but what i try to do and all these different stories on the cruise and outside the cruise and i try to do what i think jonathan coe does which is to have lots of different strands but for them all to come up neatly together at the end in quite a surprising way so that was the aim. I think he's more political probably with his novels and I'm a bit more spiritual probably. Uh, so that's probably the difference. And also, obviously, he's hugely successful. Uh, but I was kind of thinking about his style as I wrote it. Let's talk about that aim a little bit more. Um, now you've brought it up. 
because as your debut, uh, I was wondering what you set out to write. I've spoken to a lot of crime authors on the show, and with a crime story, you kind of know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. You can sit down in front of your laptop and you think, right, I know that this needs to be here. Yeah. A, B, C, it all needs to add up to a nice resolved yeah. D. How about you, though? When you sat down to write Times and Places, what did you think it was going to be? What was your main intention for the novel? Um, well, my main intention for the novel was for it to uh, be um, observational, but in terms of the cruise. So the cruise, I just felt, was a really fascinating environment to have characters. And I have got, I think, some quite strong sort of sub-characters who crop up from time to time. So I wanted I wanted that, but I also wanted it to be a slightly spiritual novel. So and when I say spiritual, I don't mean in a formal sort of religious way, although there are aspects of that because Fergus explores his faith in, in, in the book. And that kind of stems back from the time that I myself um, went on a silent retreat. So I wanted to go on a silent retreat to experience that. And and so I wanted to try to capture some of that um, in a reflection um, with perhaps some less... Um, formal spiritual musings that people have we're only here for a short time what happens next what's the meaning of if you lose a child you know fortunately that hasn't happened to me but if you lose a child even an adult child uh, justine his daughter was 24 you know what does that mean why did that ha- why did that happen uh, how do you come to terms with that uh, and you know the, the so the story is all as well as being observational, it's about being observational of Fergus and how gradually through some pretty tense and torrid times, he actually comes to terms with um, all of these things. Uh, Obviously, um, uh, he's still lost his daughter, but there's ways that he learns to live with that. Let's just handbrake book chat for a sec. Tell me about the silent retreat very quickly. Okay, so um, I saw actually a t- TV programme about it and some people went on a silent retreat and I thought, oh, that sounds really uh, quite interesting. Um, I think, you know, I have my own my own beliefs, um, uh, but I struggle with uh, loud faith. I struggle with people who have absolute certainty. For me, it's a much more inquiring sort of business. And so I saw this TV programme and I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind just trying that. And so um, I took myself off to a place called St Binos, which is in North Wales, uh, and had a week there. Uh, and it was really interesting because you take yourself completely away from the, the modern world. Um, I was worried, would I struggle not talking to people for a week but actually, it becomes perfectly normal, perfectly relaxed, and and you begin to notice things that you wouldn't notice probably in everyday life. Is there a bedding in pit period where maybe with the first hour or so of the first day you start saying fewer words, or is it step foot fo- you step foot through the door and that's it? No words. No. Can be so started. what happened there was. Um, uh, you go there and actually you have the first meal as a talking meal and then you have a kind of introduction from the staff who break you into it. Um, I actually found that the most stressful bit of the whole thing because uh, for the uh, the first meal is a talking meal and you're wondering what other sort of people are going to be there. What am I going to say to them? Are they all going to be you know deeply spiritual types? Am I going to be out of my depth? Um, so I found that actually quite the most stressful part. 
Thereafter, I settled into it really quickly, but I think that probably it's not for everybody, that's for sure, and for other people they probably struggle and then settle into it more slowly. Uh, but for me, I found it very relaxed, and I mean, we all have pretty busy lives, I'm sure you do, I do with my work as well. Uh, it's just nice to step out of it for a little while. And what was it like stepping back into loud society <laughs> when you'd finished after a week? Well, it's... You kind of know it's gonna it's it's gonna happen. So you you you're on this silent retreat. Um, you're noticing things that you didn't notice before. Your mind is quietening. You're noticing actually there's a lot of junk there, which you're kind of trying to actually push out or at least notice it and be aware of it. Uh, but you kind of think, mm, I'm in this sort of moment of quite intense awareness. Um, but I'm going to be tomorrow. I'm going to be driving back down the M6 back back home. And I'm not going to be able to keep hold of it. And surprise, surprise, you can't keep hold of it. Not all of it, but you can remember it and you can try to learn some lessons from it as well. And so I do a lot of mindfulness meditation as well, which is the same sort of thing. Just just sitting there, noticing your breath, breathing, learning to relax. Uh, and I've put a lot of that into the book uh, as well. So Fergus does these things and I'm able to transpose some of the things I experienced and I felt onto Fergus. I'd always wanted to write a book, that's for sure. Um, I did um, I did the silent retreat. I did find that um, a very reflective experience. Um, so I thought, mm, maybe I can put some of the spiritual ideas, and that's spiritual with a small s, it's, you know, mystical ideas of some of the thinking I'd had on that retreat. Uh, maybe I could put some of that into a book. And then uh, I went on a cruise, actually, with my mum. I took my mum on a cruise. Uh, and I thought, before we went... Keith, you've been wanting to write a book for ages. Um, a cruise ship could be a really good setting. People trapped on the, on a ship, visiting exotic places as well. Lots about the natural world. Um, so I thought, right, I am going to write a book when I come back from the cruise. And I took with me a notebook on the cruise and just tried to note down, you know, little things that I saw, uh, perhaps characters I saw. There's no one in the book that's actually repeated in the book, but you can draw on behaviours that you saw and, and put them into characters in the novel. So I think I knew I was going to write a book before I went on that holiday. Uh, and then that was uh, late 2015. And then uh, sure enough, I think maybe even on the 1st of January 2016, I started writing. Uh, and that process, the, the actual writing of the first draft took about six months. So how did you expand on it then? You, you come back from your cruise, you've got a notebook full of observations, uh, ideas, things about what people do. Yeah. How are you developing that into a story that sat here in front of me? <laughs> well, so... I mean, the cruise ship is really the setting, uh, and it's a for me it was a great setting. But you still had to have the story behind it, and so the story was this guy who has lost his daughter ten years previously, and then the cruise was to allow me really to just build up that tension, um, and to have scenarios which occurred on the cruise, which which build up that tension um, until eventually it breaks and it, it cracks. Um, so. So the cruise allowed me to, to do that, but I always knew that was going to be the drive, the thrust of the story, whilst using these other chapters to explore some other things that I thought were important. If you thought you'd killed someone, okay, albeit accidentally, how would that make you feel? Would you hand yourself in? If you handed yourself in and you've got children, what would that mean for, for your children? So all those questions, someone who's an ordinary person and something happens to them which makes them think 
um, rightly or wrongly, that they're a killer, um, you know, what would that do to you psychologically? Similarly, the investigating police officer, she's she's grown up in, in London, in central London, led a very urban life with the Metropolitan Police, and she gets to go out to the Chilterns where Fergus and Sylvie live. Her, she's investigating because their daughter was killed in London. Um, and then there's a juxtaposition between her world, which is a very urban world where she sees lots of really, really gritty things, and a world which she sees as idyllic, whether or not she's right is another matter. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right, we'll be back with Keith Anthony in just a sec, and we'll get a top writing tip that may change the way you work forever in two ticks. Stay there. Now it's been a while, so I need to do some admin just for a little bit. Let me remind you of all the ways that you can get in touch with the show. Uh, if you're enjoying it, if you want to let other people know, uh, if you just want to say, hey, really, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're at Writers Pod over there, which is the best place to get in touch if you want a nice, quick reply. Also over on Instagram, uh, you can get daily motivational posts to help out with your work on there. You can get quotes, you can get clips from the show. We are at writer's routine over on instagram and you can always find the show you can get all the old episodes and you can get every single way to listen to us over on our website writersroutine.com now on every episode of writer's routine we like to try and hear from more than one author so we invite a writer that we've had on telling us about their working day back uh, and we get them to give like a little mini routine that helps them get their work done Uh, and they share with you a tip that may help the way that we work forever. That's the idea. Uh, this week, we've got Anthony Cropper on. He, he co-wrote The Accidental Memoir. Uh, it's a creative writing workbook. It's full of prompts to help you get your own memoir down on paper. And today, Anthony, he's back with a tip to help you shape your story. Hello, my name's Anthony Cropper. And my tip is to think about structure. If you're trying to work on a novel... Uh, Look at Kurt Vonnegut's advice on YouTube on the shape of stories, on story structure. It's only about two minutes long, but it'll probably teach you more in two minutes than I could teach you in about six months. It's a fantastic clip, and he talks through a number of stories, and he just talks about where you start from, the character, in terms of 
positive or negative, where they go to, you know, the good things that happen in the story and the negative th things that happen in the story as well. So have a look at that. It's about thinking about the shapes of the story. One, one thing when I was working on my first novel, I was given some advice from Julia Darling, who wrote Crocodile Soup, and she said, what shape is a story? What, what is it an X? Is it an S? Is it a, a W? Is it an M? And for me, that was a revelation. I thought... I didn't think about shapes and it gave me a, a structure to work with of thinking where does the character start oh he starts down here then what's a, what's a, a point that is that I'm aiming for with, with my writing and then what's another low point and what's another high point and does it finish on a lower high so those different structures really helped me the shapes of stories thank you so much to Anthony Cropper for that tip and also to Eve Mackis as well they were both on the show uh, a couple of months ago telling us how they wrote their book The Accidental Memoir how they got it down in three hour chunks while the car parking was still valid over the course of like six months so you can listen to more of that found out how they worked on it by downloading the last writer's routine episode wherever you normally get your shows from and you can also find us over at writersroutine.com Right, let's get back to the meat of the show then. The second half of our chat with Keith Anthony, talking about his debut novel, Times and Places. It's a story of shimmering tension and truths that come to light aboard a cruise ship. Now, in this part, we chat about making his work accessible, how he feels now, what he's learnt as he moves on to start work on a second story, and we pick things up talking about structure, uh, why he split his novel into two parts, and what that meant for his planning. There were the two separate tracks, really. So it was the, the cruise ship. So it was um, looking at that, it was where it calls, what the timelines are for where it calls. So there was a bit of research involved in that. Um, uh, the places it calls at, so uh, uh, examining the places and how I was going to describe those. Most importantly, what happens to Fergus on the ship during that time. So there was a, a, some planning of that. Um, and then the alternating chapters, um, it was... What I've done is there are probably three or four separate strands within the alternating chapters, um, each with probably two chapters of their own. So I've written one chapter uh, about perhaps the detective and then maybe seven chapters later or eight chapters later, there's another chapter about the detective. And so it does jump around. Um, it's got an index in there, which I hope acts as a little bit of a map as well. Uh, but it's, a, it's also an accessible read. So I didn't want to make it difficult to follow the tracks relate to each other. So I think, um, I hope it's not too complicated for the reader to, to, to read through. Uh, you mentioned there how we might see two separate parts of the same story split up by seven chapters. Yeah. Did you write the story linearly? Um, yes, I did. But I thought about that consciously. So I knew what I wanted to do in terms of, OK, I'll have a chapter where Justine meets up with Jones, her boyfriend. Um, and they meet up actually in Slovenia, which is a place I really, really like. They're both on holiday and they happy, happen to actually literally bump into each other there. Um, uh, and then I thought, OK, that's kind of a holiday romance. What happens when they get back? Um, and so when they got back, that was their, the subsequent chapter, um, a few chapters, perhaps half a dozen chapters later. They, they meet back home. Has, have things changed? Does the relationship go forward? Have they actually got anything in common? And I was able to explore that. So it's each of these stories is linear, um, but there are separate stories, each with strands which go into the other stories. So I hope that um, that keeps it knitted together. When you were writing it, 
does that mean that we wouldn't have found the story in any place other than on a Word document and in your mind? Did you have your your, your writing room littered with sheets of paper? Um, How did that work? So uh, I had littered with paper is an exaggeration. And I, what I certainly didn't have was some com- really complicated wall chart with, um, uh, uh, you know, plot complicated plot lines where things interact etc but i did have a broad plan which um so i knew where the book was going i knew what should be happening roughly in each chapter i knew i was going to do a chapter on um the detective here and then here did that did that exist physically this Uh, broad plan um yeah that existed but you wouldn't be particularly impressed if you saw it it was literally (laughs) just you know a, a few pieces of paper uh for me uh and i think writers are all different but for me um I knew that if I tried to sit down and to do a really, really complicated plan, that would do two things. One, um, I would probably dry up because I just wanted to to start writing. So I'd probably dry up uh, and it would actually stunt my creative um, process. And secondly, I'd get really, really bored doing that. So I'd probably never start in the first place. So I tried to think out broadly, this is what I want to do. Uh, I'm going to split it into these two separate strands. And one of those strands actually has slightly different elements within it. And I worked up a plan like that. I knew broadly what I wanted to happen. And then I just started writing uh, and kept going uh, until I'd completed my first draft. And after I'd finished my first draft, then you can go back and you can tweak all sorts of things. You can add stuff earlier on, uh, on the basis of you now know what happens later. Uh, and create some links like that. Um, so I think I was a fairly informal sort of writer rather than a planner. You mentioned accessibility earlier. Yeah. Consciously making uh, your book accessible to any forms of reader. It, it probably takes the, the mould of uh, a story in, in the literary f- yeah. Uh, fiction genre. Yeah. Which can be quite heavy going. It can be quite weighty. It can be quite daunting. Yeah. How did you consciously make it accessible what are you doing with language with your plot that's going to make it inviting for anyone um well that's a really good question uh, so i think it is a very much a style question i think i have quite an informal style and i've tried to have quite an informal style so it's not heavy turgid language it's very easygoing almost as you speak type language I guess I have occasionally tried to be a little bit poetic in there, and there is even a poem in there or a song in there as well. Uh, It's trying to be thought-provoking. It's trying to be sensitive. It's trying to explore emotions. Uh, I'm trying to get that pathos. I think I referred to pathos earlier. So here's, you know, here's something that happens that reminds folks of his daughter. So he meets, for example, there's there's a dancer on board the ship. She looks like his daughter used to look his daughter was a dancer and it brings back all sorts of memories so it's having that sort of pathos there's uh, a time um when um jones who's justine's boyfriend um uh, well at the start of the book justine uh, is traveling into london and she posts a package in a post box and she dies that day uh, and then later on in the book jones receives that package and it's three days after she's died and i'm trying to create some pathos there with what she writes on that package and what she writes to him so it's trying to explore those um sensitivities those human emotions but without getting too heavy and certainly without getting pretentious or you know uh, too sophisticated about it the edit was much tougher much much tougher because um uh maybe because of the style i'd adopted in writing it and getting it all down you know 
I sort of you you put that final full stop in place and you think yeah I've written a book uh, the end <laughs> the, yeah. the end and everyone's going to think it's brilliant um, but uh, then you start showing it to people and in fact before I even showed it to people I then started going through it and you think hmm actually that's not quite as good as I thought it was and that's not quite as good as I thought it was uh, and you then start that polishing process and so I probably did you know three or four of those uh um, by myself before I started showing it to people and then of course you get their feedback and uh, some of which is good of course you show it to friends they're all going to say something nice but you don't want people just to say brilliant you know you, you want people to come back with with um, uh, with some thoughts and I had uh, some people who did do that fortunately Do you remember any of the, the thoughts that they came back to you with that helped you out? Yeah so um, uh, I mean some sort of technical stuff and some content stuff so uh technically there's probably some sentences my style was probably the sentences were a little bit too long so i started to break it down a little bit make it a bit more accessible we were talking about accessibility earlier mm. i wanted it to be more accessible um then there were some things which people perhaps didn't think worked there were some things that people thought there was one or two chapters that people thought were a little bit long and i'd put there was one chapter in particular, which was the second chapter put in Slovenia, where I'd, I'd written about something which was really quite important to me and poignant to me uh, and meant a lot to me. Uh, but it didn't really add that much to the story, if I'm honest. And, you know, that feedback came back uh, and it was a long chapter. Keith, you need to shorten that chapter a bit. You know, what are you going on about here? <laughs> and that was really tough because that, that meant a lot to me, that bit. Uh, to take it out was was difficult but I also knew that they were right and so so I did did you always listen to criticism um I always I always listen <laughs> <laughs> but I think as a writer you you know you're gonna have people saying different things to you you're gonna have people saying oh that was really good and that was actually no someone else is thinking that doesn't work so you'll go crazy if you try to you know do what everyone says and you shouldn't be doing what everyone says it's your book but you have to bear in mind you're wanting people to read your book. So if you get people to read it and they come back with comments, you know, you have to be open to listening to that, not go into denial. You haven't understood it. No, you're wrong. You know, I can't believe you didn't understand it. No, they're a reader. You know, they found something difficult or didn't get something. Um, uh, you need to take note of that. At the same time, you don't just someone says, oh, that sentence doesn't work. You don't, don't just blindly sort of take it out. You think, are they right? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. And you have a, have a bit of a think about it. So I was always open to what they said. But ultimately, I was like the person who made the decision. <laughs> you've said when you, uh, you're in your house and you've got your writing room, yeah. and you've always earmarked that as a place that one day you will sit down to write. Yeah. Well, you've done it. Yeah. And you've published your first book. Yeah. yeah. It, being honest has it is it what you wanted it to be years and years and years and years before before you ever went on the cruise um i guess is it exactly what i wanted it to be probably not no uh, because the process of writing and i suspect especially the process of writing your first book is a phenomenal learning experience uh so um so it's not exactly what I want, but I don't. I think it would have been wildly over optimistic to to think it was ever going to quite be that. I would say it's ninety percent there. I'm telling a poignant story. Um, I think it's generally well written. 
I think it is accessible, which I wanted. I think it has got humour, so it's not heavy. It has got that pathos. It has got elements of gothic horror in it. So it's got all those elements that I wanted. It's poignant. It does that thing which is actually really quite complicated, um, and which I was talking about, I think Jonathan Coe did in What a Carve-Up, which really impressed me with that book, which is to have all these different strands and for them all to come together neatly. There's things in my story which, um, for example, I had someone read it and they said, that, that, that's totally unbelievable, you know, you've gone too far with that. Uh, but I left it, it, that in because actually there is a logical explanation for it at the end and it all comes together really, really neatly. And they agreed after they read it. <laughs> they agreed. Uh, and so... It does do that sort of complicated, different strands all coming together neatly. It's poignant. It's it's spiritual with a small S. And those are the things that I wanted. Said it's a learning curve. Mm-hmm. When you sit down to write your second, maybe you're doing that right now. What are the big takeaways from getting the first one plotted, planned and published? I think um, I think... In terms of the the writing, I would take note now because they were right of the, of the feedback that I got about some of my sentences being too long. So I think I'd probably keep some of that structure a little bit simpler in terms of you know technically how I'm writing. Um, I think uh, that would be uh, a big thing. Um, I, I actually think that's probably the key, the, the, the key the key lesson I've got is to keep it simple, which is actually what I was wanting to do, but somehow. I went down a slightly different track um, at times. Uh, that, I think, is, is is the key learning. Would I do the planning differently? I think I probably will plan a little bit more this time because this, your first novel, you're kind of gushing out everything that for the last however you know decades you've, you've been thinking about. I think for the next novel, and I have got ideas in my head which I'm, I'm brooding about at the moment, I think I probably will do a little bit more planning as, as well. But I don't regret not having done it with this because... It's panned out pretty much as I wanted. That is it then. Thank you so much to Keith Anthony for coming on the show. Uh, We've got links to his book so you can pick it up for yourself. Times and Places, it's called. Uh, Find out more over at writersroutine.com. And whilst you're there, remember that is a brilliant place for you to get in touch with the show. Uh, If you've got any writing tips of your own that you want shared, if you're an author yourself and you want to chat about how you worked on your story, or maybe you've just got a few writers that you'd like to hear from and you want me to start sending emails to, find us on the website writersroutine.com. Now, if you've enjoyed uh, the episode, I'd love for you to tell someone else about it. The best place that you can do that is to leave us a review. Five stars if you can. It really helps out with the chart over on the iTunes podcast store. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe uh, so we automatically download uh, to your feed each week each week or so. Uh, we've got some huge authors on the show soon, fingers crossed, including like Ian Rankin, Cecilia Ahern. If everything falls into place, they should be good to go. Now, I'm not exactly sure when we will be back with new authors. Irons are still in the fire, uh, but I'm trying not to be away for too long, like a whole summer this time, uh, and I'll keep you across it uh, online, so make sure you follow us on all the socials that you can. Twitter, Writer's Pod, Instagram, Writer's Routine, and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye! Black. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 